everyone assumes that I'm just like living this hamster wheel lifestyle and because I produce a lot, like I have a lot of output, but I spend two hours a day working out, sitting in the sauna, going for a walk, and then more time cooking meals. That's what makes me feel rich. And it doesn't even cost much at all. It's really just a time thing. Welcome to Beyond the Dollar, a podcast where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. I'm Sarah Lee Kane. And I'm Garrett Philbin. We want to give you space to explore your relationship with money. The guilt, stress, exhilaration, and fear, no topic is taboo. In this episode, we chat with Kathleen Shannon, co-host of the Being Boss podcast with almost 6 million downloads, where she shares her insights and experience on what it takes to be a small business owner and side hustler. Kathleen is also the founder and partner at Braid Creative, a branding agency for creative entrepreneurs and purpose-driven businesses where she helps her clients blend more of who they are into the work that they do. In this episode, we talk about how getting clarity and knowing your values really helps you in all aspects of your life, the perceived versus actual risks of entrepreneurship, and a whole lot more. All right, Sarah here. A lot of people ask me how I managed to get so much done as a busy mom. Here's one of my many hacks. I listen to audiobooks. So whenever I put my son down for a nap, I go for a walk or even washing the dishes, I listen to a bunch of audiobooks, which can be anywhere from helping me with my money to even being a better businesswoman. My favorite book so far? It's actually Being Boss by Kathleen Shannon and Emily Thompson. Those ladies are seriously badass. And right now, you can get two free audiobooks by signing up for a free trial of Audible. You'll get a free 30-day trial, and you can cancel any time before that. You won't get charged. Plus, you get to keep the two audiobooks absolutely free. Now, if you do stay on, memberships start at $15 a month, and this includes one audiobook a month plus a 30% discount on any additional ones that you purchase. To start your free trial and to grab those two free audiobooks, head over to www.beyondthedollar.co backslash audible. Now that's www.beyondthedollar.co backslash A-U-D-I-B-L-E. To check out resources we shared in this episode, including a guide on how to use your values in your financial decisions, head over to www.beyondthedollar.co. Get ready, grab a seat, and let's go Beyond the Dollar. Welcome, Kathleen, to Beyond the Dollar. We are so, so excited to have you on. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me on your show. Oh, gosh. Uh, Yeah, no problem. I invited Kathleen on because I basically heard on her podcast, she would go on any podcast. And I thought, okay, let's email her and find out. (laughs) Let's see how honest she was about that statement. (laughs) I say yes. I think that you were genuinely surprised, too. You were like, I know that you said on your podcast that you would go on any podcast that asks. And I was like, yeah, send me your schedule. Sometimes you just, you just never know. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, when you do outreach, you just get a little, you always think of the worst case scenario, but you do it anyways. And so I'm glad I did. (laughs) There's nothing more vulnerable than setting yourself up for rejection and pitching yourself. So kudos to you. Oh, thank you. And I, what I would love to explore first is basically about quitting your job and to go climb Mount Everest. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. So I worked a traditional nine to five day job in advertising right out of college. And I 
got my degree in fine arts with an emphasis in graphic design. And so I was working the dream job as an art director, working up to senior art director. I was in charge of, I was the lead designer on the NBA Hornets whenever they were in Oklahoma City for a while after Hurricane Katrina. So I got to work on some really cool projects with some really amazing clients who had huge budgets to do things like parades and television production and radio and really well-rounded, right? And really fun stuff. And then somewhere down the road, I guess I started personal blogging. So I was blogging about remodeling one of my first homes that I bought with my now husband. And I wanted to share and document that journey along the way. And it was also stuff like basically learning how to be an adult 101 is what I was exploring on my (laughs) blog. And at some point, I think probably just my own inherent nature as a designer and creative, and maybe a little bit of that even entrepreneurial spirit, even though I had a day job, was coming through on the blog. And so people were asking me for advice about being a strategic creative, even though I wasn't freelance yet, I didn't work for myself yet. So I started really sharing more along those sides. And I started picking up side work, doing branding for creative entrepreneurs, and even wedding invitations. I feel like the wedding industry is a huge way that a a lot of people go from day job to working for themselves because typically they're getting married, they're working with an event planner, they're working with designers, and they're like, wow, actually, I think I could do this sort of thing too. And so that's exactly what happened to me. Um, I posted my own wedding invitations, which at the time, this was 10 years ago, at the time, Pinterest wasn't what it is today. Even Etsy wasn't what it is today. And my wedding invitations were super funky, inspired by Wes Anderson and really cool. So I posted those and I started attracting a lot of um, other like offbeat brides and grooms and couples who wanted interesting invitations too. So I started doing that on the side. I started doing branding for creatives on the side. And eventually it got to the point where I realized that I loved branding more than I loved advertising. And I didn't really understand the difference between branding, marketing, and advertising right out of school as a college student. So, I mean, I was probably making in freelance money let's say $15,000 in my first year of kind of like side hustling. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, if I were to quit, like where could I fill in the gap? And it kind of, what it really felt like, someone was asking me this just the other day, how long it took me from kind of side hustling to quitting my day job. And I would say it was about a full year. And what I felt like I was doing was really building a bridge, but putting down one plank at a time. I wasn't Mm -hmm. just running and leaping. And honestly, I'm incredibly risk averse. So it was a really big decision, and that decision was catalyzed by my obsession with Mount Everest. So I started <laughs> watching this documentary on the Discovery Channel, and I think it's called Everest Beyond the Limit or something like that, something dramatic. Probably has a guy with a really low voice being like, Everest Beyond. <laughs> you sound just like him. Was that, your, was that your job? Well, it's how I make some of my freelance <laughs> income. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, do you, know? you really do you really do voiceover work? No. No. I don't, but actually I had a conversation with uh, another guy who has a podcast and he just started getting some voiceover work and I thought that would be super fun. He did it for like a local haunted house 
And I think it'd be super fun to do. So maybe now like listeners can hold me accountable and be like, all right, man, within the next couple months, get your first voiceover gig and it's going to be great. <laughs> I don't know why I automatically really, default to Batman. You've but got a great you go. voice. You should do it. <laughs> we, we have a lot of female fans um, that, that mentioned the voice. <laughs> so... Well, is it you know. the speaking voice or is it the one that sings sometimes and is like a whole new world? I think fantastic- both. <laughs> uh, probably, probably I both. I feel like okay. this is just going to become your reel for submitting <laughs> auditions just in this just in this podcast. In. This is going a little off the rails, but the last <laughs> uh, company that I started was um, with a couple other guys and we were called Deep V Music, and we were stupid music for smart brands, definitely in the comedy space for marketing agencies and advertising agencies. So I do have a little experience um, doing some background vocals for like adult diaper commercials. So I do have some experience. So if anyone's out there who, you know, in that niche, I'm available. Phone number's on the website. Okay. So you have done voiceover work (sighs) for adult diapers. All right. Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) you got me. And then I love that the name was Deep V. Was that because you were all wearing Deep V t-shirts? Or is it Deep Vagina? That's the- <laughs> Okay, so in, so guys, we all have video on right now. And I saw it in your eyes, Kathleen, where you're like, you're going to go there. And the best part is we started it because of all the Deep V t-shirts we wore. We were based uh, out of lower Manhattan. But you know, like me and one of the other guys lived in Brooklyn. So we always had the V-necks. And then somehow, you know, we did not realize ahead of time that it might stand for deep vagina music and so when we put it out there and on the business cards we had more people in the beginning be like wait so t-shirts or vaginas and yeah we're just like okay well were you like apparently both? for we love <laughs> both literally both <laughs> um and for a comedic content company like what better way to market yourself than be confused with both t-shirts and women's or nether parts um also side note my husband was one of the first guys i saw in the area that i live in wearing a deep v t-shirt and he's like i'm gonna marry that one <laughs> put a ring on it kathleen he's you know mine <laughs> <laughs> wow okay um okay so then i was obsessed with mount everest <laughs> and... perfect transition by the way i <laughs> right, love that let's right, go that back thing. on track so So I was obsessed with Mount Everest and I just didn't have that much time off of work. I only got two weeks paid time off and it's definitely a three to four week trip to make it over to Nepal and trek through the Himalayas. And I knew that I wanted to go. I wanted to see that mountain with my eyeballs. And so that was a catalyst to quit. I should just quit and try this freelance thing and go see Mount Everest. As someone who is supposedly risk averse, that seems like a heck of a leap to take. I'm not risk averse financially, well, not financially in that way. Like taking a trip doesn't feel like a risk. I mean, flying into the most dangerous airport in the world was a risk for sure, which I did. Um, But taking a vacation isn't a risk. I would say a risk feels more like, well, I mean, I guess you're right. The the leap was quitting my job. That felt like the risk because I didn't know where my next paycheck was coming from. So that's a risk. Or I think investing in a specific consultant or piece of software, business investments like that, where you just don't know what the return would be, or even branding. I run a branding agency and a lot of people ask, well, what's the return? And it's just such a soft part of your business that you can't measure the hard return. I mean, there's just no direct metric correlation, right? And so all of that to say, I don't think that it was a risk to 
go to Mount Everest. And it was kind of expensive, but once you're in Nepal, like it's a dollar to sleep on the floor in a tea lodge. It's super cheap. I love that perception on risk adverse. I think for, for many of our audience and even myself, when I decided to quit, it was very scary because I know I was thinking like worst case scenario at that point, my son was a year and a half, like, oh my gosh, what if I cannot put food on the table? What if my husband loses his job? And you know, it kind of snowballs into that. And so to me, quitting was like the risk, to me, it was like the riskiest thing ever, even though, which is funny, I had a massive chunk of cash in the savings account that we could have lived off of for like two years, right? So for you, like, how do you, like, what are your views on what feels risk adverse and what doesn't in terms of money? Um, so whenever it comes to money, well, I don't really know where to begin, but I suppose I did have a security blanket. So let me just walk through the scenario of quitting my day job. So I lived in Oklahoma City. You can buy a beautiful, cute little bungalow that would be a million dollars in California for $65,000 in Oklahoma City, right? And so I do credit the place where I lived as a huge almost like my location, my geography was a support system in itself. And so, yeah, there's not a lot of support for the arts or for, you know, my bleeding liberal heart whenever it comes to Oklahoma. Um, it's, but I, it was probably easier for me to quit my job than if you were living in Manhattan, that would be a lot more risky. And I wasn't making a whole lot of money in Oklahoma city. So just as the cost of living is low, you're, you know, standard salary is going to be on the lower end of the national scale. And so as an art director, and this was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I feel fine sharing this number, but as an art director, I got hired at, I want to say around 30 or $32,000 a year. And I felt so rich. I was buying my designer jeans. I went and bought a house and I totally paid for all of it. I was never in debt. So that was helpful too. I didn't have student loans and that sort of thing as well. So one of the things I really value is security for sure. And really factoring in all the things. My parents live down the street. If there's a worst case scenario, I can always move back in with them. I got married and my husband had a good stable day job as an engineer. And that's probably always the most embarrassing thing to admit. Like I don't, I don't want it to be that I had to rely on him in order to do it because I want all of the single moms, you know, to feel really empowered to do it too. But this is definitely a factor that played into my personal decision-making whenever it came to weighing that decision. So worst comes to worst, we live frugally and he's able to pay all of the bills with his salary. And then on the flip side of the risk, again, being in Oklahoma, I can now play on a national scale whenever it comes to working for myself. And I easily made my income in the first year and have pretty much doubled it. I mean, there was a point at where that doubling stopped, but was able to continue doubling it for a while. And I think that's the thing is that everyone's so freaked out about not making money. And what I really think they're freaked out about is not having that security of someone else handing them their paycheck. And they would rather mm. make less money working for someone else and have to be responsible for hustling it out. I can speak from my own experience around that is what I felt is 
at the bottom of all of it was that I didn't truly believe that I had the skills, talents, or abilities to actually make the amount of money that I was making at the current job, which even wasn't that much. I was making like 34 grand as doing copyright at Sony Music in New York, which, you know, living in New York is not the same cost of living as in Oklahoma City. And did you have like that's what roommates? <laughs> I think it was 12, but yeah, something that was divisible by four, uh, which is pretty normal for New York City. But it really came down to the fact that I didn't trust my ability to earn and to support myself. And that was part of my money story, having grown up pretty privileged and not having to truly fight for what I needed to earn from an income standpoint. And just knowing that if shit hit the fan and everything fell apart, cool, I'd be able to move back to some idyllic California small town that Oprah three years ago said was the happiest city in America. And like, oh, I'd be able to make it work because... That's just what I do. So I think there are parts where like knowing you have a backup plan and knowing that, you know, if push came to shove, you could rely on your husband's income. Your parents are down the street, which is helpful. But I think for myself and I've heard in other people's stories too, it's just this underlying belief of like, or lack of belief that they can really do it, that they are powerful enough and that they value what they can create enough to be able to earn a living doing it. So I'm curious if that's your experience, Sarah, if you feel the same way or not. Uh, fuck yeah. <laughs> Delightful in its brevity I, and clarity. Yes. And and I, I totally understand what you mean about empowering single moms and things like that. Because I, I, was, I was initially really hesitant to even admit that my husband played a huge role in, in supporting us financially, really, because we never, we ever ended up touching that big wad of cash in in our savings account because we we did initially rely on his salary um you know i i do know a few single moms who have started their own businesses and i wouldn't say they wouldn't they didn't have a big of a safety net i think for some their parents were very supportive they one of them i think got a loan an interest-free loan from a friend so i think i think no matter what your situation what i've i found just observing other people's lives is that there will be somebody to support you. And if you do need financial support, there there are people and institutions out there that, that can help you th- so that you can sort of take the stress away from hustling for money and then, you know, but pushing yourself at the same time in, in you know, your entrepreneur endeavors. Yeah, I think that I definitely trusted myself. And I don't, I don't come from a super scrappy background by any means, but I did really well at my day jobs. And I see this happening a lot with people who want to quit and do their own thing. And they'll say, well, I just keep getting promoted at my day job and I have a lot of opportunities there. And I don't think that entrepreneurship is for everybody because it is hard. You know, as you were explaining, Garrett, like just trusting yourself to have all of the skills and talent and all of that that goes into it. Like, I mean, marketing, social, I feel like now even more than ever, there's so many pieces of the pie. You have to understand opt-ins and funnels and all of the things. I didn't do any of that whenever I started working for myself. And had I been aware of all of that stuff, I would have been really freaked out. But I did trust that I could create really good content and that I could show up with the skills that I did have, which was really essentially just trying to be the best designer I could be. And I think if you're focused on your craft and what you're putting out there, um, I just had a lot of trust there. I will say 
more years into it and the more that I'm making and the more I have to sustain and the more of a team whose salaries I'm in charge of, the more pressure is there. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is really hard. But again, I just go back to that like initial trust. I trust myself. I trust that I can do this. Yeah. I'm curious how your money stories have shifted over the years. So kind of what you believed when you were at that day job and then as a freelancer and then as you started Braid Braid Creative and then now as it has grown and you're responsible for other people, just like what stories did you have and kind of how those shifted and almost, as Sarah put it, um, new level, new devil. Uh, And to be able to understand, okay, like now that you're at a new level, a lot of new things come up. So I think that perspective would also be really helpful for, for people to hear like how that's shifted for you. Yeah. So I have to share that I'm in the middle of figuring out what my money story is right now. Like it's just been a big year of growth and changes. So I'll get there, but let me start with my original money story. I remember whenever I was around teenage years, young teenage years, I remember my dad pulling me aside and saying, listen, Kathleen, you can do what you love knowing that it might be in the arts field, like drama or art of some kind. You can do what you love and you might not make a lot of money, but you'll totally be happy. Or you can do something that maybe you don't love, like become a pharmacist or a doctor and make a ton of money. But the worst is if you're doing something you don't love and you're not making a lot of money. So those were kind of the options that I had. I could do what I love, not make a lot of money, but be happy. I could make a lot of money. Maybe I don't love it, but I'm kind of okay because I have security. Or everything sucks and I'm doing something I hate and I'm not making a lot of money. Thanks, Dad, (laughs) for that last one. Yeah. So, I mean, that at least taught me, I think the point there was pursue your passion or pursue something that's going to make you rich. And I don't think he was entirely wrong. Like, I don't think that that was a terrible money story, except that because I loved my job, I felt like I couldn't charge a lot for it. I felt like maybe there was a cap and that I shouldn't be making a lot of money because I love it. So I really had to bust through that money narrative of you can do what you love, but maybe not make a lot of money at it. So then I had to say, okay, how can I do what I love and make a lot of money at it? So I had to get through that block. And then early in my career of working for myself, I had an executive coach named Jay Pryor, and he really taught me the concept of money as energy. And it is a concept that I continue to explore. You know, and whenever you think about money as energy, you can really substitute the word money for energy. So if you think money is the root of all evil, then let's say you say energy is the root of all evil. It makes no sense, right? And so anytime I find myself in a money story that's just not making sense or it's limiting where I'm going next, I replace the word with energy. And I really dissect and look at whatever money story I'm telling myself from a different angle. And so right now I've been in a big growth phase. Um, It's the first time I've ever experienced having like a big boost in money from, you know, opportunities like writing a book or um, different launches that worked and then no longer worked anymore and, and kind of feeling the the peak and then the valley. Because I will say that in the seven years I've been a creative entrepreneur over at my branding agency, it's been very even steady growth. And this year has been a little bit more explosive. We brought on 
a third partner and we've started buying media and doing advertising and dipping our toes back into where we came from. But with being boss, there's a lot of opportunity to explore and play and do a lot of different things. And the money kind of, you all can't see me listening, but I'm doing like a wave. I'm doing a wave with my hand. Very good form too. It goes up and down. It goes up and down. And so there's a lot of opportunities, but also it's a place where we're a little bit more playful and might take more risks and that costs money. Like I tried Facebook advertising for the first time ever. It was basically like flushing $12,000 down the toilet. It was my experience. And so, you know, just stuff like that, it feels risky. So we were talking about risk aversion earlier, but whenever you have more money to play with, the riskier you can be, and then the bigger of a return you might see on that risk. Though I will say some of the riskiest stuff I've done now with more money that I would never have done with little money, I have not seen the return on. So I'm kind of convinced that that slow and steady and conservative approach to being frugal with my dollars and DIYing as much as I can and just bootstrapping it and only growing within the capacity that I've stretched to, it's what works for me. It's not the sexiest thing. Um, whenever I talk to people, they they think my journey into entrepreneurship is like a very dramatic thing and they're very surprised when they're like oh you've been doing this for six years I'm like yes it's been like three years of side hustling I took a little break when my son was born then it was you know I started up again then I quit my job then I moved from China to the U.S. and all of that and then teething issues with my you know (laughs) two-year-old like so so there's it's again it was this like push 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 pull back push push pull back and so I think one of the things I try to at least let people know is that you need to see behind the scenes of what's going on. Like entrepreneurship, like starting a business, having one sounds very sexy, but the reality is there's a lot of unsexy parts to it. And so it's that trust. You got to like see, are you willing to make those sacrifices or kind of deal with the sort of the downsides to it before you even go to the next step? What I thought was interesting in what you said, Kathleen, was like as you make more money, um, feeling the permission in a sense to spend or maybe, I don't know, do you feel like you were less discerning with the choices that you made because you had money or simply you're operating now at a bigger scale so the numbers are just bigger? The numbers are bigger, but I have been able to kind of throw money at things that I would have had to do myself before or not do at all. And so... I built my business from the ground up and really got my hands in it and understood every single aspect from billing to answering all the emails to all the customer service to the onboarding to the actual creative and delivery to the thank you gifts. I mean, all of it. And as I grew, I started to see, okay, what is it that I'm actually best at? What is it that I want to be doing all day? where can I have the most impact for the least amount of time by offloading some of this busy work? And so some of those initial growth things were very strategic. Like, okay, we need to hire on a production designer to resize some of the stuff that I've created in the main platform. You know, just the stuff that I don't need to actually be pushing pixels for. Um, But yeah, like permission to spend money. I do find that oftentimes I'm probably the more frugal one of my business partners, which is weird because in my personal relationship, I'm not the frugal one. So that's kind of interesting to note. And I've just, 
I don't know. Like, I guess I need a little bit of the permission. And I will say like making some of those first hires is as scary as quitting your job and going out on your own for the first time. And I think no one really tells you that about your first hire. And so then you do your first hire, then your second, third, fourth, fifth. I think I've seven people on my team at Braid and up over at Being Boss. And some of them are contractors and over at Braid, more of them are full-time employees. And yeah, it's scary. It's this invest, but it is an investment. And if you can see on the other side of, okay, how will this ultimately make us money? Then you can make strategic decisions from there that point your business toward the direction of it, not only paying for itself, but turning a profit. What I really loved about that is how you show up in business, kind of being the person who is more frugal within your business, but then in your personal relationship or the interview you did with your husband, where you're like, he's much more conservative and you, I think you put it you're like, I just YOLO and yeah. seeing how, and I think it's really important to note that like you can be a certain way in one space and a certain way in another space. And that isn't necessarily incongruent unless it doesn't work for you. Um, but I was also curious of like how, you know, what are the amazing and fun things that like that YOLO lifestyle allows for you in the personal life? And then also what are some of the drawbacks that you see as well? Yeah. So that's a great question. And this is definitely some money mindset stuff. One thing I've just noticed about myself is if I get down or sad or anxious or any of it, any bad feelings, I'm like, I work really hard. I'm going to buy myself something. Why am I working so hard if I'm not buying anything? So, you know, I might go shopping a little bit. And so my YOLO lifestyle, like what that actually includes is um, taking vacations I take as many vacations as I want. I just moved from Oklahoma City to Detroit. My husband's a self-driving car engineer, and so he got a job up here about six months ago. And it was a big deal. It was my first time to move away from my family, to move across the country. And I was really excited about it, but it means a lot of plane tickets back home. And so I feel so fortunate that I can just spend money to go home for a weekend, which is really nice. Um, so that's what that really looks like. I've been spending a lot of money on clothes this year, but I have to say, even then it's like two to $3,000 for the whole year. But that feels like a lot to me. And I'm saying this number because some people might be like, whoa, that is so much money. And other people might spend two to $3,000 a month on their clothing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think it is good to just say these numbers. And part of that was by really looking at my values. So every year I set a word of the year. And this year I had two, I cheated. They were style and abundance. And so style really was about reinvesting in my wardrobe and really making sure that how I'm dressing on the outside is a reflection of how I feel on the inside, which is post-apocalyptic bohemian badass. That's I my love style. It. That I'm <laughs> like basically if, if the post-apocalypse happens in any moment, I want to be dressed for the occasion. <laughs> it's like when you go to the hospital, you want to wear your best pair of like panties. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, I, I Out of left field, Sarah Lee Kane just drops I it. Think that's done. A that's one I've never thought about, but I have thought like if I die, you know, like what am I, what am I? Okay, I thought that was very common. Maybe just in my circle of friends. <laughs> I mean, how often are you going to the hospital? Uh, not that often. I'm. Oh. <laughs> 
she lives that post-apocalyptic lifestyle. Yeah, you know? yeah, she lives on the edge. She gets there quite I often. I really love the post-apocalyptic. I have my baby at home. So there is just, there is no nice underwear happening there. Okay. So anyway, okay. Coming back to values. So my values were style and abundance. And so I knew that I was going to allocate some time, money, and energy in either thrifting for clothes or curating a wardrobe or even editing some stuff down, like getting rid of stuff that no longer served me, which is another side of the money conversation. Cause I think that we always think about what we're able to obtain with our money and never thinking about what we can kind of shed. That is a money drain on us. Um, and then abundance. And this one has been really interesting. I read a book called scarcity. I'm also reading a book right now called, um, affluence without abundance. And it's about the tribes in South Africa who are like hunters, gatherers. Anyway, I'm only a little bit in it. I read a book called Geography of Genius, which really changed the way that I started thinking about creativity and making money from creativity. I think playing big, no, not playing big, um, even though that one's a great one by Tara mm-hmm. Moore. Mm-hmm. Um, that one's really good. But um, Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic. Oh, love that book. Yes. Big Magic <laughs> is so good whenever it comes to just thinking about, I mean, all of it. Here's what I've really been thinking about lately is how much is enough and how much do I really need? And another huge value of mine is generosity and how generous can I be? And what really does make me feel most abundant? And right now that's being able to work out every day. Like everyone assumes that I'm just like living this hamster wheel lifestyle. And because I produce a lot, like I have a lot of output, but I spend two hours a day working out, sitting in the sauna, going for a walk, and then more time cooking meals. That's what makes me feel rich, right? And it doesn't even cost much at all. It's really just a time thing. And so once I can recognize that, then I also start making decisions in my personal and professional life whenever it comes to just carving out time. And what does that look like? So this has been like a really big growth year where it comes to thinking about money and abundance in whole new ways. And I will say, I'm afforded that privilege because I make good money. Does that make sense? Like, so I don't want anyone to be here like, I lady, I'm just trying to pay my bills. Like, and here you're contemplating what it all means. No, totally agree. I think for, for many people, then the first step is like, how can I afford the lifestyle that I want? And then get very clear on, on what that looks like. Because I, I feel the same as you now where I'm, my word was simplify. Like, how can I simplify what I do to basically get as much t- white space as I possibly can? And then still a work in progress, of course, right? But again, I make really good money. And so I can afford to think of these types of questions. And I will also say that there is probably a balance where you have to honor your values for sure. Like this isn't something that you're only doing now that you have money, that you both make really good money, right? These are things that know you've done over time. And sometimes you've been able to give more time to them than others, depending on how much you're making or how good you feel about where you currently are. But these are things that if you value Kathleen, like self-expression and being able to show up outwardly, right? In the inner post-apocalyptic badass that you are, right? Or being able to take time for yourself. Maybe it hasn't always been two hours at the gym, but it has... like you have to do it and you have to give yourself permission. What is that book, Sarah? It's like, girl, wash your face. Oh. Uh, 
I have not read that yet, but yes. (laughs) The idea, like you have to start doing it even when you feel you don't have the time or the money, because if you don't do it now, you won't do it then because you'll get in the habit of not honoring what it is you truly want and need. And there's always a scalable version of that, right? And I think that that's what people are missing out on is that I know people who are incredibly broke, taking amazing vacations or even just weekend trips in their own town. Um, they're pra- it's almost like you have to practice. You have to practice being who it is that you want to be no matter how much money you make. And I see this a lot with people who want to be writers. Like, I want to write a book. I want to write a book. Well, sit down, open your laptop and start going through the motions, you know, like go through the motions and behave as if you are that person that is writing a book. People who are writing books sit down and type out words. Like it's as simple as that. And so behave as if you are making the amount of money that you want to make. One thing I even do is sometimes I'll go for a walk in nature and I'll think, how would this be different if I was a billionaire? It wouldn't be that that much different, right? And then I am able to cultivate this abundance and see that some of the most beautiful resources or, you know, attractions that are available to me are free. Like I'm going to have the same experience in the Redwoods as Beyonce. Like that's really empowering to me. And then I will also, I always think about this as I'm walking. I'll be walking around my neighborhood and sometimes I'll think, what if I were a billionaire and nobody knew it? Like here I am just walking in my weird post-apocalyptic clothes and nobody knows I'm a secret billionaire. And how would that change how I behave? So then I start thinking, well, I'd probably start donating more of my money. And literally I went home and thought about, okay, which which organizations can I donate a percentage of my paycheck to? And you can start doing that stuff through your own payroll or just set it up as a monthly recurring donation. Even if it's as little as $5, then you start behaving as if you're a millionaire. And then slowly, I mean, I believe in all of the law of attraction stuff. And I think that whenever you can start to cultivate those feelings and practice behaving as if, it starts to become a reality. And if not, like at least you're still acting as if you've already won because the whole reason why people want to be a millionaire or billionaire isn't for the money itself unless like you're an asshat like Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) It's for what it then affords you or the feeling that it gives you. And I think that you can cultivate those feelings without having that certain dollar amount. Even as you mentioned, Sarah, sometimes, you know, I've seen millionaires who behave as if they're broke or are so freaked out about money. And I've also seen people who don't make a lot of money. Like my brother's a sideshow performer for a living and he certainly gets stressed about money, but he's living this beautiful life. Like he has this vintage Airstream that he travels the world in and swallows swords and is a performer making people either super grossed out or super ecstatic for a living. And I just think that he's like a really good example for me whenever I'm feeling like freaked out about money. I'm like, he's living a good life and he's having fun with what he's got. I love that exercise you talked about of just asking yourself how your life would be different or how this experience would be different if you had a billion dollars. That one is gold because it's, I think, a great way for people to just immediately get back to their values and say, oh, well, if I like freedom and flexibility or if I like to travel or if I like to be out in nature, like really, how would it be different if I had all this money or, you know, why can't I do it now? 
with just what I have. So that was, that was gold. And I'm going to write that one down and start doing yeah. it. I mean, you still, even if you're a billionaire, you still got to put on deodorant and wipe your kid's butt and, you know, like do the things. <laughs> you're still human. I love that. Those are the first two things that came to mind. You're like deodorant, kids, butts, guys, it's gotta be done. They're the things I Gates. wish I could outsource the most. <laughs> yeah, me too. I wish I could outsource my armpits and my kid's butt. So if there's anyone who specializes in that, by the way, you can email her at uh, Kathleen. Just kidding. <laughs> oh gosh. So speaking of, of exercise, do you have any like rituals, other rituals that you do around your finances? Okay, I've got one right now that's really weird. Do you want practical? Practical. No, just it okay. doesn't matter. This whatever you weird. do. Okay. <laughs> so I was recently on a walk, and I heard that I was. I listen to podcasts, and I go for a walk every day. And so I was listening to a podcast, and someone was talking about how soldiers back in the day used to be paid in salt. Like the word salary comes from the root of salt. I could mm. be totally wrong on this, but this is what I picked up. So I was like, wow, I've got a lot of salt in my cabinets. I'm rich. I'm so rich. I have all like pink Himalayan salt. I've got some nice salt. So every morning I have this, I start my day off with a cup of warm water and a teaspoon of magnesium and a squeeze of lemon. And then I pinch some pink Himalayan salt in it. This is all really good for your body, by the way. And then I stir it around and I basically pretend like I'm Cardi B and I'm like, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich as I'm stirring my weird morning concoction. And then I drink it and I think about how rich I am drinking my salt water. So that's my biggest ritual right now around money. But then I do really practical things too. Like I will look at, you know, my income and expenses. I really love Mint. That app mm. is one that I will look at, touch base on and really just having open communication and conversations about money regularly, not only with my business partners and with my husband, but even with my friends, just letting go of some of the shame around even some of the specific numbers and just talking about, you know, what's working and what's not working. That one is huge. I know for friends in my life, for clients I've worked with, it's they start to make changes or want to make changes, but then don't feel that they can have those conversations with people in their lives. And for those that haven't yet felt comfortable to have those conversations, they feel stuck and they, they can't then show up in the way that they want to. But then for the people who do start engaging and leading those conversations, they realize that actually when they start bringing it up, that then their friends are like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. And then it gives them permission to have those conversations. And so it's just really hard to get to where you want to go or to be comfortable with where you are if you don't have people around you that are either supporting you, living life in the same way, or who can at least understand and give you that space to, to communicate. So I, that's a really important thing to note. So thanks for highlighting that. Yeah, of course. I mean, some of the money conversations that I'm having with my friends usually revolve around housing. Like I'm, I'm thinking about buying a house versus renting and, or, you know, even around entrepreneurship. Should I quit the day job? Should I take a leap? You know, and really just saying, okay, what's the number in the bank that would make you feel most comfortable? Or what's the best kind of loan that you can get right now? And here's maybe why it's smart to buy a house right now whenever interest rates are so low versus later. And, you know, I think a lot of people want to put a lot of cash down, but if interest rates are really low, then don't put a lot of cash down, like keep your cash, just stuff like that. And it's the stuff that nobody's talking about and that they don't really even teach you in school. Like forget home ec, 
Like, could we, well, home economics, could we talk more about the money side of the economics of the home? Or even stuff like getting a house cleaner, like paying for that expense. This is something with my friends that brought a lot of shame because none of our parents had house cleaners. Like you're doing that stuff yourself. And then everyone I know is like, you know what? I could make more money in the four hours it would take me to clean my house than it would be to pay someone else to do it for me. So just even balancing the pros and cons and weight of all of that. And what's really helpful is when you start having those conversations with people, you know, you could have a conversation with one of your friends and you're talking about how much money they need in the bank to feel that they're comfortable to take the leap. Even in discussing that number, you get to learn more about their money stories and help bring that up for them. Because like Sarah, you talked about, you had more enough for about two years of runway where someone else might only feel they need three months. And so that speaks to what your money stories are and then allows you to have a conversation around that, which I think is really cool, right? But you just have to start the dialogue and that you'll probably start more on a surface level. But the more you have those conversations, like each one will open up a different door into a possibility of a different story or a different expectation or belief that they have. And so, yeah, it's probably going to be awkward if you've never had these conversations with people before. But I think if you take the leap in initiating the conversation, other people want to, they just don't feel like they have the confidence. So, you know, it opens the doors, not just for them, but like for them to also ask you questions and give you insight into your own life. Yeah. And to get really practical about this, I wouldn't just go to a new friend's place and be like, how much do you pay for this house or how much money? <laughs> right? But um, I think that some really good conversation starters might be asking, what were your money stories growing up? You know, were your, what were your parents like with money? So it makes it a little bit less personal. You can ask things like, when did you get your first credit card? Or how are you handling your student loans? Do you have student loans? You know, just even stuff like that. And um, that's one step removed from, so how much money are you making and spending? <laughs> Show me your P&L sheet. <laughs> <laughs> Which it's funny because um, so when I lived in China for like the last eight years, um, locals over there are pretty ballsy about asking very direct questions so I just got used to answering like this is how much I make this is how much my husband makes this is where we live here's the rent and then when I came back here it it was such a I wouldn't say it was like a 180 but it was it was an interesting shift in how I talked about money here and so it's funny a lot of how my friends and I start conversations on money is on I broke up with my boyfriend what do I do or hey how did you afford all that travel and then we start talking about career choices and all of that. So then, then the numbers do, you know, start being uh, brought up. How were you in China for eight years? What were you, what were you doing? I was an elementary school teacher. Oh, wow. And were you like, I just want to go, I just want to go to China, like for an adventure. So since I, ever since I was six, I knew I wanted to be a world traveler and I knew the way to do it because back then, you know, internet business did not exist was to be a teacher. And so I'm like, okay, so I'm going to be a teacher. And so ever since six, that was like my goal <laughs> to do and it. While you were in China, were you traveling around a lot? Yeah. So I think we had, it was a good job. So, which I think that was like really hard to quit. Cause I think I got about like 16 weeks of holidays, like paid time off. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like so, and I was making, gosh, at my most, I think I was making like 45 or 50 grand as a teacher, right? Free housing, 50 grand, flights home every year, and 16 weeks of vacation. 
So yeah. <laughs> See, even this conversation, this is mm-hmm. like what a money money conversation looks like, right? Where you're yeah. like, how did mm-hmm. you afford to do that? Yeah. And, oh wow, that's so cool. I never thought about becoming a world traveler in that way. And how you can just get creative with any profession. Right? Mm-hmm. It's something like a, most people think, right? Okay, I'm going to teach my local school district. But if you get back to your values. What do you value if you value freedom, if you value travel, like you can get and nowadays more than ever, right, you can find something that most likely can allow all of those things to happen. You may have to get creative and you may have to trade off for some values that aren't as important. But if you're really, really clear on what does matter the most, like there are opportunities out there, it just are you willing to make the leap and are you going to be willing to go and do that research and figure out what exists? And again, through conversations, right, you can just be in that discovery. Yeah. And I, going back to the word trust, it, it's not just trusting your own abilities. It's almost trusting that the answers are going to come to you, right? Like, like yes, you're going to be open to the universe. You're going to ask the universe a question, but you also need to trust that the universe is going to provide you with the answer. And when that answer presents itself, you got to trust yourself to either say yes or no to it. And then whatever happens after that, again, just keep trusting yourself over and over again. Because I think that's thinking back on my life it's it felt it feels like very much like serendipity and how like i actually ended up in china um but i'm like no i was just open to those opportunities because i trusted that like the universe was going to give me what i needed and wanted and i just followed it yeah and i think whenever you're aligned with your values i know that word keeps coming up and following your curiosity and maybe quieting some of your perfectionist type a tendencies to map it all out and understand how you would react or respond in any given situation you really can trust that you will figure it out as you go and so a lot of times i like to get real anxious and make up pretend scenarios that don't exist because I want to be prepared for how I will handle it. And then I have to just quiet it all down and be like, no, no. Like, for example, what happens if I go broke? You know, am I getting a day job? Am I moving with my parents? Am I going to take out a loan? Freaking out about this thing when you have two years worth of salary in your bank. You like you're spending all this time worrying about something that isn't even real yet. Why don't you spend that time using converting that energy into excitement and creating what it is that you want to create versus worrying about what might probably and most likely never even happen. I say, oh, that is so boss. Yes. Love it. <laughs> yeah. what, you, uh, what you appreciate appreciates, right? So that which you focus on, you create more of. So if you're going to be focusing on the negative, right, you will go in that direction. If you focus on the positive, that will bring it to you. I love that. And And also what you said, I can't remember where exactly I read this, Kathleen, but it's like, yes, believe in the power of manifesting and putting it out there into the universe. And then also like go out and do the work. It's like, Sarah, just didn't magically happen that you wanted to be a teacher who traveled and that like it just fell in your lap. I know you, you hustle your ass off. And it's like you did the work to make it happen. And for you too, Kathleen, I think um, I love that making people aware of like, yes, put it out there into the universe, but also then go out and put yourself out there and figure out what needs to happen to make that a reality. Yeah, I think that this is so important because I I love it whenever opportunities fall in my lap. And I really do find that whenever things start feeling real serendipitous, that I'm on the right path. But for example, um, I know that I want to do a little bit more speaking. 
And so if I want to do more speaking, then I need to keep my eyes open for the opportunities where there might be speaking opportunities available and then pitching myself or saying yes to any and every podcast. That's an opportunity to practice my skills of speaking, of showing up and being seen and figuring out what I think and figuring out what resonates so then I can write a talk that resonates for more people. And that's just an example. But then I might get an email out of the blue asking me to show up to a really cool conference or retreat or even, okay, an example, just talking about it right now, saying like, I want to do more speaking. Someone might listen to this podcast and be like, well, I have a Mm -hmm. conference. I'll invite you to come speak at it. Sometimes doing the work is as simple as just showing up and saying it out loud or as simple as making the decision, I want to speak more. Um, So I think that that's what that really can look like sometimes. And then other times it looks like really hitting the pavement and sending out emails or finding those clients or updating your LinkedIn or your resume or, you know, whatever that might look like for you. I love that part where it can be as simple as just sharing what you're up to. Uh, I took a seven week 10 state trip a couple of years ago um, where I ran my business. So I do coaching and so ran it from the road and nothing moved when I told people I might do the trip, but everything moved when I made this conscious shift. And I just said, I'm taking the trip. I, I had no car to do the road trip. I had nothing planned, but I just said, I'm taking the trip. And then a friend said, oh, I have a car you can use or, oh, I know people who live in Washington or Idaho or Montana and you can stay with and just getting clear and making that distinction that this is what I want and I am now going and getting it. I hadn't done anything more than that except telling people. And then the inherent excitement that I showed because it was something that was important to me and I really valued got other people enrolled and excited and then supported me. And it just like started to move from there. So it can seem like just putting the intention out there into the universe, but then really like making it real with words, making it real that it is happening, even when I had no idea how the hell it was going to happen in the first place. Like that was a magical moment for me when I realized the power of just manifesting by, by declaration. Yeah. Your word is your wand. That's one of my favorite Mm. um, Mm -hmm. quotes from this metaphysician, Florence Scovelshin. She's in the 1920s and she has this book called your word is your wand. And it's, I, I do kind of believe in magic, but then I'm sure that there's science one day that will back it up in the quantum physics and, you know, all of that. But there is something to just saying it out loud and it it's so powerful. So I guess the underlying message for everyone out there is if you really truly want something, then just say it out loud. And I mean, all three of us clearly are sitting here as evidence that things have happened to us quite serendipitously, and I mispronounced that word, <laughs> when, we, <laughs> when we asked for it. So um, Kathleen, where can people find you? I am over at beingboss.club. That's my website for Being Boss. You can listen to podcasts there. You can also listen to Being Boss anywhere where you get podcasts. My branding agency is at braidcreative.com. And personally, I am on Instagram at and Kathleen. Awesome. Kathleen, thank you so much again for being on Beyond the Dollar. Uh, Thanks for having me. It was so fun chatting with you both. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beyond the Dollar. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Also, if you feel like putting your money towards the things that really matter is a challenge for you, then download our values-based spending guide. You'll gain clarity around what matters most to you in life, be able to name your most important values, 
and start thinking about how to only put your money toward those things. To download the Values-Based Spending Guide, go to www.beyondthedollar.co. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Beyond the Dollar.